We gotta stop saying that. It's funny the first dozen times. Hey, Maniacs. Hey, Maniacs. This is Midsummer Maniacs. But you knew that, right? Midsummer Maniacs. It's a recap podcast dedicated to the ITV series Midsummer Murders. Each week we dig into an episode of the show, including the murders. There's only one in this episode. The mayhem. There's a lot of that. There's some mayhem. There's certainly lots of loonies and everything else we love in this episode. Fact. Fact. (laughs) If your kids cannot watch this show and all it's underlying sexuality <laughs> they probably shouldn't listen to the podcast but we if they might can have handle to the talk show. a little bit about sex sort of sort in of. this episode kind of maybe and the sexiest tale of episodes i give this a six out of ten even though the entire episode is about sex mm-hmm. it's the least sexy sex ever yeah fact <laughs> oh dora it does have this episode does have some of the best individual characters regardless of the plot that they're involved in yes just little one-off characters that i just want to keep and have in other episodes but we have a big announcement we do we do we're gonna take a little break we're going to don't worry not a long break just not a a long break this is episode 49 country matters season nine episode six then we're going to cover uh, season nine, episode seven, which is Death in the Chorus. And Peter will be Capaldi. our 50th episode and our one year anniversary. And we thought it was time to take a two week break. We're just taking a two week break. It also kind of <laughs> coincides with all four of our kids starting college. So we thought we might want to pay them a little attention. And it has <laughs> nothing to do with the fact that hockey is starting two weeks from today. <laughs> Nothing to do with that fact. But we're not going to go silent for two weeks. No. It's your time to talk. Yes. So what we're asking you to do is to send us a little message, either on Twitter or Instagram, or uh, record a Zoom call or record your voice. You can email it to us. You can email it to us any way possible. And I'll, I'll put all this on the message on the... Show notes, and I'll post a lot about it. I'm not going to disappear. I just have a lot of hockey to watch. I mean, I have to help kids get to school. And what we'd love is if you just give us your first name and where you're from and why you like Midsummer, or your favorite episode or your favorite murder or your favorite character. Just tell us what you love. We want to get your voices involved in the podcast. And then we're going to edit all those together for a mini episode or two. And within those two weeks, we'll release those. Yep. We'll release those. So it's on you. Yeah, really. It it really, it's in your hands, listener. Yes. As we (laughs) say to the children, it's your responsibility now. Yes. It's not your fault, but it is your responsibility. Yes. (laughs) So Death in the Chorus comes out the 27th of July. Uh, The 29th of July is our one-year anniversary. And we'll probably next week have a little uh, one-year anniversary retrospective. There is no human on earth who could have predicted this podcast or what has happened in in the the last last year. year. Yeah. And then we'll be back with a regular episode on August 17th. Yes, which will be episode 51, one of Sarah's favorite episodes, last year's model. Yes. So, excellent. So July 23rd is when we release the the trailer podcast, and then the 29th is when we release the first episode of July. Last year. Last year. Little did we know. Little did we know. (laughs) Nothing did we know. (laughs) And we'll definitely be at 30,000 downloads or more by then. Probably more. Probably 40,000 if we include uh, YouTubes. Yep. So check out the show notes for some little brief instructions. And send us one message. Send us five. We don't care. Yep. We'll put them all together. Put them all together. And a great big Midsummer Maniacs Love Fest. It'll be great. Excellent. So speaking of love fests. Literally. We got a message on the Instagrams from Gift for Burning this week about Polly from the last episode. Do you remember Polly from the last episode? Yeah, the, the barmaid. Yes. Who gets emotional. Uh, the uh, Gift for Burning said she looked really familiar 
uh, but she's only been in four things. Her name's Lucy Ann Holmes, but she's gone on to do some pretty interesting things. She writes books about finding feminism through sex now. Ah. And she won a romantic comedy book award. That's great. She did that too. She wrote novels and nonfiction books. But more importantly, she single-handedly successfully campaigned to end The Sun alongside other British newspapers from publishing daily page three topless glamour model shots. I always thought it was strange that they did that in a regular newspaper. I mean, I know England is a bit more laid back than the U.S., but... It always surprised me that they did that. So the sun in Canada had sun girls too, but they were always clothed. Bathing suits or something? Bathing suits. Yeah. So they weren't topless. But I remember going to England the first time being like, whoa, (laughs) that's not a normal newspaper image that I'm used to seeing. That's incredible that she led that charge and got that change made. And I'm sure she had a lot of help, but if she led it, that's great. And we see that with a lot of the younger actors who are in the show. This may be their only acting gig or it may be their last acting gig. And then they go off to university or something and they start a different career. It's been pretty common. And like, if you want to be in Naked Pictures, go be in Naked Pictures. But a newspaper that's sold to anybody bothers me. Yeah, it bothers me. Also, boy, did I start something off this week. (laughs) Wow. Virtual insanity? Uh, It was virtually insane because I posted a picture of Mildred Danvers and Jamiroquai on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and all the things. And boy, it blew up. If you don't remember, Mildred Danvers was the first victim in the last episode that we talked about. And when she's at the funeral, at the very beginning of the episode, she's got on this kind of oversized fur hat. That looks remarkably like the hat that Jamiroquai wears in his virtual insanity video, which is a really well-known music video where he slides around the floor. He's got this moving room. It's really cool. Two favorite comments. One, somebody suggested was Paddington, and I (laughs) found a picture, and Paddington wears the same hat. Yeah, at times. At times. (laughs) And the second one was that she that Jamiroquai stole the hat from her, even though he released his music video eight years before this episode. So So now I got this image of of Mildred Danvers stealing Jamiroquai's hat, which is a much funnier image. Jamiroquai time traveler. (laughs) Virtual insanity. That all went crazy. And then uh, we got a new fan on uh, the Twitter named Ozcat. Uh, who also suggests that we had that she's an Australian lady who is a fan of ours too. And it just makes me think we need to tour Australia. We need to do a world tour. Oh, wait a minute. We can't leave the house. (laughs) (laughs) No, maybe someday, maybe for our two year. Maybe. I remember we spoke about doing a special episode in England at our one year anniversary. (laughs) That's not going to happen. Not going to happen. Maybe for next year, though. That would be cool. We want, we want to rent a boat in England, like a canal, a canal boat, boat. And, and go to England for a while. We have lots of friends there, so we, we would uh, love to do a couple of the podcasts from over there. The, the best would be if we did a podcast from one of the locations in the episode that we were doing. Yeah. You know, like the pub or something like that. Would that would be fun. Fact. <laughs> Fact. Speaking of facts... This episode was filmed in November and December 2005. I'm sorry. I just want to throttle that child every time she says fact. They all have have coats on. Uh, Broadcast date is 10th of September. 5.8 million viewers. Richard Hothouse directed this baby and written by Andrew Payne. I got to say, and this may be slightly controversial that I'm going to say this, but no woman would ever write this episode. No. I, I just don't think. No. The village name is interesting. Did you catch what the actual village name is? It's Elverton. Come Latterly. Oh. Is there an early Elverton or I something? No. <laughs> but having that name in the village and like Johnny Come Lately and. Oh, your brain's dirty. That's, that's what it is. It's dirty. 
But you know what? That's okay. Because the title of the episode oh, is Rather Dirty too. Rather Dirty too. And the pub is the woodman. So you want to talk about the title? Let's get the title off. Right off the per. No one says the title. It's not one of those moments where you're like, oh, they said the title. No, no. Face off. So it's Country Matters. Yep. And, <laughs> yeah, you know. Uh, okay, I'm just going to be brave. Yeah. Um, so country matters. It's a it's a term that was it's been a slang term for a long time, but most notably it is in Hamlet. Hamlet says to Ophelia, "Lady, shall I lie in your lap?" And Ophelia says, "No, my lord." And Hamlet says, "I mean my head upon your lap." Yeah. And Ophelia says, "I, my lord." And Hamlet says, "Did you think I met?" Country matters. So if you just take the re off of the end of country, yep. you'll know what term country matters is actually slang for. Yep. It uh, it may be the worst bad word in the U.S. Yep. You just don't say it. It's yep. a C word. You just don't. Yes. But, but it's slang for bonking. Uh, yeah, in a roundabout way. Yeah. It yeah. refers to female body parts first yes. and then infers what's done with those body parts. Yes. Um, but the fact that the episode is called that is pretty heavy commentary on what's going on in this village, don't you think? Yes. <laughs> I, tell I mean, you it could have been called slags or something if they wanted to be really heavy. Harlots. I have a note about harlots. harlots. Later. <laughs> <laughs> not that, that women who are, you know, sex workers are bad people. They're not. No, no. But these three women... I don't think we're supposed to see them as an honorable profession, what they're doing. Um, Mostly because they're ready to blackmail every single client. Uh, the, the biggest problem I have with them, and I talked to you about this earlier, is this is a small village. It has one shop and one pub and no street lights, And there are three prostitutes working in this village. Everybody would know what was going. It's really a town where a percentage of the people are prostitutes. Yeah. And the rest of them are pretending they don't see anything. Like of the the spread in the magazine that goes over all the characters, there's six, eight, 10, 12, 14 people. And six of those people are involved in the prostitution. <laughs> <laughs> and two of them are children. <laughs> Plus the... The locations, the, the where they do it, it, it's not hidden well enough. Like, Rose's cottage is right on the village green, and her kitchen windows face the front of her house. Oh, yeah. Like, right? And she is the most... Discreet. Discreet. Because she has at least a good excuse for people coming and going from her house for her cookery school. Yes. Which, in the U.S., we would never call it cookery. Nobody says cookery here. It no. raises cooking. Cooking. It's a cooking school. It's a cooking school. Jenny. Vividly. Jenny <laughs> uh, has, has her business going on in her stable, where they obviously have a pretty big horse business going on. They've got like a dozen horses there and other Which people is a riding. business on its own. On its own. They're not even like going in one of the horse stalls, like right no. there in the main hallway that is between the two giant doors. It's as if somebody would drop trowel right in front of... Oh. Of Barnaby, yeah. <laughs> and then Rose is just out in the woods along a walking path that's that even Rose, got... Celia. Celia, sorry, that even has signage on it. Yes. Like, this way to the lady in distress, you know, they could be more private about it. Yes. It begins with our man, Frank, who, okay. Frank has a tortured life that he has created. Yes. If we are to believe his wife, who okay. is a dragon lady. His wife is, wow. Woo. Mrs. Hopkirk. I had forgotten that he had a wife and then woo, she chews up everything yes, while she's she there. Does. He has the stamina of 10 men his age. Considering he visits all three women in the same day. Yes. Assuming that they conclude their business each there time. Is a, there is a simple thing here. Before the business conclusion, he changes outfits three times. That he does. If I had to change my <laughs> outfit three times, I might need to sit down and have a nap. Yeah. <laughs> Let alone... The country matters. Especially since one of the outfits involves very tight pants. Wow, those pants are tight. <laughs> that is a lot of Frank that we see there. And little, more with a lot of Klaus later his, on. His little riding pants. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we're introduced to this and it's all meant to look like 
oh, this is his wife? Oh, no. He's, you know, they're all, it's playing with you. This right. episode has a lot of fun. Yeah. And then everybody kind of goes to the grocery store, which is the other part of this episode that we're not talking about, which is a grocery store wants to mill, move into Elverton. And there are people who like that idea in town and like people who don't like that idea. In town. Yeah. And that's, now, that's the red herring. You think that if there's going to be a murder, it's going to be about the grocery store, either to stop it or to ensure that it goes through. And so we've got all this controversy around good fare. We care. So good fare. The, the couple of things I want to talk about that set right away. First of all, there are a lot of people in that store. It's so weird to see crowds of people. Second of all, to us in America, that is a tiny grocery store. Oh my store. God, it's minuscule. It's minuscule. The toilet paper and juice are on the same aisle. That's no. Our grocery store has a whole aisle for now, toilet paper. We, we used to have <laughs> we used to have the largest grocery store of its type in the US. It's like 10 feet away from our house. Yeah. Right. So we have this ginormous grocery store, which half of the town, half of our town calls like the uppity grocery store. It's a Kroger, but everybody calls it Krogucci because uh, we have a sushi bar. Like we have a sushi bar and there's and live cheese music counter and, and cheese counter and all sorts of crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Not in this grocery store. It's just packed with extras. Yes. There's so many people in this grocery store. And then you see you see Rose and her daughter. Mm-hmm. And in the, maybe the only thing I like about Dora, she actually helps with the groceries. But then she puts something away on the shelf where it's not supposed to be. <laughs> I used to work in a grocery store, and that's the bane of people at grocery stores existence. It is fun to see Tom and Joyce grocery shopping, though, because we don't often see them doing those kinds of things. And, of course, that just sets us up for the best character of the episode, Rev Sue's. Okay, before we get to Rev Sue's, because oh, I could tell, this whole episode could be about Rev Sue's. <laughs> I want the Rev Sue's show. Rose and Joyce know each other. Right. Because? Because Joyce has been to a cookery class there, which, which apparently was quite expensive and vividly. didn't improve her cooking. <laughs> Fact. Yes. <laughs> Did not improve her cooking. And then Tom is forlorn because he's waiting. I don't know if he's forlorn. He just puts his head down because he's just waiting. But he's doing the for old. For Joyce to find the horseradish. He's doing the old person thing with the cart. Yes. Leaning on it with his yeah. elbows. Yeah. Leaning on it with his elbows. So then the Rev Suze shows up. Yes. And just eats the scenery. <laughs> she is fantastic. First of all, she prays with Barnaby. I watched it which twice. Which makes him in- infinitely uncomfortable yes. right away. I watched it twice because I wanted to see, the first time I watched it, I just couldn't take my eyes off of her. Yes. And then I was like, I need to watch it to see his face. Yes. And John Nettles is awesome in the way he... Just he doesn't say a word, but when she touches his hands, oh. you can see this. It, the first look is like, "What the hell are you doing?" And then, "Okay, you're just another crazy person." I'll go along with it. It's like but he's so used to that, you know. This episode has two big budgets. The first budget signage. I'm going to talk about signage all throughout this because good fare and all the signs and good fare, it's all made up. Yeah. Right. Second of all is Rev Sue's t-shirt budget. Yes. (laughs) Cause she has a, a shirt that says shopping for, for Jesus. Yeah. Shopping with Jesus. Cause she's there from 12 to to two every Saturday. Yes. Then she has jogging with Jesus. Yes. So, which led me to other verbs with Jesus. Well, but she also has the peace T-shirt. Yes. Right. Like bonking your neighbor's husband for Jesus. Yeah, I have bonking for Jesus and lying for Jesus. Lying for Jesus is harlot for Jesus is another one mm-hmm. I had. Um, she uh, also there are custom figures of cherubs doing the activities on the shirt. Yes. There are jogging cherubs and uh, shopping cherubs. Shopping cherubs. They're and fantastic. I, I want to have a cherub jumping into the back of that van. <laughs> <laughs> well, and never mind the fact that underneath those t-shirts, she's wearing her clerical dickie. 
Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I looked it up again because, you know, I had to look up the Skimmington ride. You know, I had to look up Anthony's cape. Yep. To see if that was an official cape. Yep. And it was. And then I'm like, do they call that a dicky? Or does the church have a different word for it? Oh, no, it's a dicky. <laughs> and you can get them with and without. They call it a collar cover. Okay. So you know, if you think of a, of a Catholic priest, just the white part is in the front and the rest of the collar is black, yeah. right? Um, that's called a covered collar. I have trouble saying that. Yeah. Um, but hers is an uncovered collar. So it's a white band that goes all the way around. Yes. Can you say that? Covered collar. Oh, good job. Way to make me feel stupid. And she's at St. Chad's, <laughs> which also does the school. Yeah. Yeah. She's just, she's everywhere and she's awesome. What other verbs do you do for Jesus? <laughs> that would be fun to put on a t-shirt. She runs because it's time with the boss. Yes. So everyone kind of makes their their knowledge known about what they like or don't like about the grocery store. But then we have... Otis. Otis is my favorite character in this episode because all he does is steal some booze and fags and his entire village and his life are ruined forever. <laughs> Otis, all he, all he wants is a little bit of Dora attention and his life and his village are ruined. Never mind that his name is Otis Piggott. Otis Piggott. Like that's a handicap right there. Indeed it is. But Otis and Dora are really bad at being juvenile delinquents. They are so bad. Let's go in the most public place and do our juvenile delinquent activity. Well, the first time, it's 9 a.m. They should be at school. They are sitting in full visibility of the road. In their school uniforms. In their school uniforms, drinking beer, right? That's, that's when they first see Frank and they go and hide from him. Yes. Then they just sit on a bench in the village green with their backs to people smoking. Like, no one's going to see them? I at first thought it was the Rev Suze who was smoking. Because <laughs> then I wanted to have a t-shirt. I thought she was toking. Sm toking for Jesus. Toking for Jesus. <laughs> smoking for Jesus. So they go to Jubb's Field, which is beside Jubb's Lumberyard. To do this, which is not a bad place to go sneak off to. No. No. But they do it outside in full view of everyone in their uniform. Yes. When they should be at school. But not before school, but when they should be at school. So they're late or skipping school. What they don't do is stop and admire the amazing sign that they walk past. Well, before we talk about those, did you notice that Dora and Otis have different buttons on? Yes, because she has one against the supermarket, and he has one for the supermarket because their parents differ. Yeah. So Otis's dad is is in yeah, he's so in support of the grocery store, right? So his button says "Good Fair We Care," but Dora's button has four stars and then says "Off Good Fair." Yes, <laughs> it literally says. Four, four stars, not F star, 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 no, off good fare. No, four stars. Four stars off good fare. Any four letter word, including country matters, could fit in there. Yes. <laughs> Doesn't make sense, but. But you know what? They can still be friends. They can be. Even though they go to different schools and they're on different sides of the grocery store battle, they can still share a nasty lager. But Dora Fact. does this thing that I don't like where she pretends not to be his friend, but. Totally takes advantage of all him all the time. And I bet you if he got hurt, she would be upset. Yes. Well, other than his entire world destroyed. because She's greatly offended at any implication that her mom likes his dad. Oh, gosh. So they go past this sign. And this sign, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about the sign because the sign does a good job of not only looking like a real sign. Mm-hmm. It also tells a story on so the sign. So you're talking about the big sign that's at the street in front of Jubs that is the like future location of Good yes. Fair sign. Yes. Okay. So at at the top, 
It actually has it has Good Fair new store opening soon, mm-hmm. which has spray paint on it, which says sawed off. Right. <laughs> and then it says Midsummer District Council and the District Council crest has a little badger on it. Of course it does, because they're so cute. <laughs> and it says working in partnership to provide affordable homes in the community. Because they're gonna build homes for six families there. With, where there are no like where do these six families live now? It's not like there's a homeless problem in Elverton. You don't know. I guess. Maybe. And written on in spray paint on that is no ripoff supermarket here. Mm-hmm. And then, oh, we get the best one, which is Jones and Booth Partnership Chartered Architects. I didn't know architects could be chartered. Yeah. Uh, it means licensed. Yes. And written in paint. Did you catch what it says written in paint on there? No. It says, end global capitalism now. <laughs> <laughs> that's Those are long words to put up with spray paint. I would, I would need a lot that's of space. A, like, there's a lot of, of like, thought being put into this that this one store is creating global capitalism sat off end global capitalism now yep uh and then there's down with the proletariat down at the very bottom is a really nice jobs jobs timber yard established 1906 the people who did that sign good you did a good day's work right there that sign tells a story it relates to the plot and the narrative it looks like all those three things are different it it's great unlike all of the other identical signs everywhere around the lumberyard that say danger authorized persons only, only and unauthorized entry denied and then just big yellow exclamation points <laughs> <laughs> They were busy. <laughs> Speaking of people they who were busy. They had to make a lot of buttons. Before Frank gets busy, he needs some dirt samples. Yeah. Because now let's go through Frank's day, the last day, because he's done this other thing on some other day. Yes. So he goes to get the samples and then he goes to. That's at nine. At yep. 11, he's at the cookery school. Yep. Then he has some lunch. Then he has. At the pub. Yep. Then he goes to the corner store that has no curly whirlies. Did you notice that? No. Yes. So curly whirlies are my favorite. So every time they're in a store, I look for them. Nope. No curly whirlies. Then he goes to his horse riding. Yes. Then shooting. Yes. Then. No, no. He, he goes shooting, then horse riding. Then goes to the pub for a beer. Is that no, right? No, no. Then he has the heart. Then he has the stroke. Then he dies. That's right. That's right. Shooting day. then riding because he has a stroke after riding. Yes. And the juvenile delinquent alcoholics find him. Dora and Otis. Fact. I'll be mummy. Oh, that's so creepy. <laughs> it's already creepy enough. Shall I be mummy? But Which means I'm going to serve or pour the tea or which whatever, right? It's like sexist on, on it, the very base level of it. Yes. And then... On top of it, the whole fact that he's about to bonk her and she says that is just, uh, wow. It's, it is three of the sexless, sexy scenarios that I've ever seen. <laughs> they managed to remove all the fun out of BDSM. <laughs> I, uh, I'm not going to say anything about that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think her kitchen's big enough to have cooking classes in. No. No. And there's too much crap everywhere. You know what we need? A town meeting. Before we go to the meeting, they, uh, the people involved in the business. The business. Meet the up Brishness. at yes. the Lamington's house. Yes. And Orlando talks about selling Mannings. Yes. Did you know what he meant there? Okay. So I looked into this. It's man- paintings. Yes. Right. That they've had to sell. And I... I have four candidates. Yes. For who Manning is. There is no actual Manning that I know of that it is definitely. Well, my assumption was that they would be paintings that have a reference to country pursuits. Like so horses or fox hunting or yes. something like that, right? That makes sense. So based on that, I narrowed it down to it's either William Wesley Manning, John Manning, A. E. Manning, or Cecil William Manning. 
Or it could be Alfred Munning. Oh. Who Munning. also does paintings like that. Yeah. So. Either way, these paintings would have been a few grand. Yes. If they had to sell them. Yes. So they're apparently that tied up on money. So the five of the business are all anti-supermarket. Yes. Why? I, I don't know. I don't know how it would hurt any of them. Later on, Orlando, who I dislike immensely. <laughs> Orlando says that it's traffic mm -hmm. and it would put out local businesses. Now, yes, it is going to affect the Talbots, probably. Right, because okay. they actually sell food. Yes. Everyone else would see more business because of this grocery store. I would think so. Now, I don't want to stop capitalism, global capitalism right now, <laughs> but I'm not really upset about this grocery store coming. It doesn't appear to be right in the middle of the village either. It's not as if they would have to tear down, no. you know, historic buildings or anything to build it. It an seems to be kind of on the edge. Yard. Yeah. An eyesore is going to be torn down in exchange for a grocery store and six homes. That's not a horrible deal. No. But apparently they are against it. It Maybe it will drive down their property value. Maybe. To have such commercial things in the village. I don't know. Well, but Orlando needs to talk to Rose because she's been seen with Danny Piggott cavorting. I, I love how the two couples criticize the widow. Yeah. For interacting with anybody. Like, the, that's the, nice of you to say you have one another. She's alone. Yeah. Celia and Jeremy... Don't do much in this episode. They have the easiest acting gig ever. Yeah. But it's really Orlando and Ginny who are like. We've got the big, the big village meeting. Yes. Where the Rev Suze is going to be the peacekeeper. Yep. And she does a horrible job. But Otis has struck gold. He's got <laughs> vodka and fags. <laughs> so Otis and uh, Dora slip off back up to Jubs. To, to drink their vodka and have their smokes. First of all, at that age, there's no way I would have drank straight vodka. It's like rubbing alcohol. And the, the vodka he has is not good. No. It's super cheap, right? Super cheap. It's well, whatever they put in well drinks. Yeah. It may as well have like black label vodka on yeah. it. But they go into the dark. So during the day, they just sit out in plain sight. But at no, night. No. At night, they have to go in the dark. They hide. Without a flashlight. Right. A cigarette lighter and straw is always a, a good combination. Absolutely. They're lucky they didn't all burn to death. Yes. But we know from the reenactment of Frank's murder later that he's sitting sort of on a bale of straw, like with his back against a bale of straw. With his arm high in the air. Ah, okay. That explains it then. Yeah. Because when Dora and Otis sit down in the dark, Frank's hand ends up on Dora's knee. I'm like, how does his hand rise to sit down on her knee? See, Ginny was framing him to be a Nazi too and propped up his <laughs> arm so that it would appear that he died giving a Nazi salute. Oh, okay. And, and when, when so why doesn't his arm go around Dora when well, she no, sits down? When Dora sat down, she knocked the thing that was holding his arm up away and it fell onto her leg. Okay. And then when Dora and Otis run away, he slides off of the barrels, flips over and lays fetal on the floor. And also cleans up the blood around his mouth. Because that's how George and the geezers find him. Yes. Is laying on the floor. Yes. Okay. He, and he cleans the blood up around his mouth. Well, maybe it gets wiped off on Dora's jacket. Maybe. <laughs> Poor Otis. She's like, stop touching me. He's like, I'm not doing anything. <laughs> Poor kid. It's not me. 19 minutes in, we finally get him to death. Yes. One. Yes. Meanwhile, there's a fight at the town meeting. Everybody hates everybody at this town meeting. It's, it's fantastic. Suze fails miserably to keep the peace. And to cover up her affair. Oh, Yeah. Because she immediately starts uh, comforting uh, Gary Talbot. Yeah. And his wife is like looking right at her doing it. I have a note that says, um, Suze, you shouldn't be doing that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to get caught, Suze. Yeah. Now seeing the crime next day. Yes. And Barnaby walks past the sign and I get to read everything that I couldn't read before. And it's not until their second visit back out there that they find the murder weapon and Frank's wallet and briefcase, but not his computer, 
No. Which I don't know why that's even relevant because it never matters. No. But maybe to make it look like a robbery, the computer's gone, the money in his wallet's gone. Maybe. But they read Dora and Otis like immediately. Mm -hmm. They know what's going on. I love the little interrogation with Otis in the bar where his dad's like, I got a call. And he goes off and Barnaby's like, look it. (laughs) I won't mention the vodka and the fags if you just tell me the truth. Yeah. So Otis is like, oh, well, we're men talking about things. Yeah. So let me tell you everything. We saw him the day before. This, that, and the other. I detest alcohol. Fact. (laughs) We got to stop saying that. It's funny the first dozen times. But Dora just says it over and over again. That meeting sure got heated. Gotta go. Bye. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it just takes off right away. And um, so when Jones and Tom leave Jubs the first time, or, or no, it's the second time, Tom wants Jones to go and break the news to Frank's wife. And he's going to go and talk to the kids, Dora yes. and Otis. And interrogate them. And Jones is a little uncomfortable about having to go break that news. And he goes, me, sir? And Tom says, you, sir, yes, sir. Yes. Do you know what that's a reference to? I do not. It's a game. Oh. That has lots of different names, but most people just call it you, sir, yes, sir. Okay. Um, and the reason why it caught my ear is because, you know, I love Cary Grant. Yes. And Cary Grant was in a movie called Houseboat. Yes. And he's on the boat with a couple kids, and they play the you, sir, yes, sir game. Oh, okay. So the way, the way it goes is you say, oh, somebody has stolen my hat. Have you seen my hat? And you say, who, sir, me, sir? And you say, yes, sir, you, sir. No, sir, not I, sir. If not you, sir, then who, sir? And they name another mm. another person by a number or by their name, and then that person has to so do the user like yes a or copy me, sir, game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, immediately, I just thought of Cary Grant, and I had to look up the whole game and how it works. But that's what Thomas user yes sir. So there's a whole bunch of investigation here and moving back and forth, and I'm completely enamored by a sawmill equipment poster. <laughs> such a nerd sometimes (laughs) there is a beautiful sawmill equipment poster that i want desperately in the background in one of the scenes i'm not really sure why you would have that at a sawmill because it's advertising equipment like it's a promotional poster for the equipment that would already have been there yes okay (laughs) well you know i don't know why not they go back to to Rose's cookery school, and the entire place is wrecked. It was all nice and clean. All the ladies were there, including Sue's. Yeah, doting over Dora. Like, they're all feeding her breakfast like an octopus. Different arms coming down, putting down eggs and sausage and grilled tomatoes and tea and milk and blah, 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 blah. And Dora's just sitting out there like, can I leave now so I can go tell everybody that I saw a body? Yeah. Because it's the coolest thing that's ever happened, which is... Awfully authentic. That's yes. what I think that's what a kid would do. So we find out that Frank's been bitten, getting lessons on a one-on-one basis. But he has given Rose a different name. Yes. She's been calling him Mr. Johnson. They all get different names. And I wasn't sure watching this this time if I believed them. Yeah. I think they all know he's the same guy. I can see him not giving them his real name but I don't know why he would give each of them a different name unless they're just making up a name saying, oh, well, he just called himself Johnson. But I think we're supposed to believe that Celia and Jenny and Rose don't know that Hopkirk is in any way related to the grocery store. Yeah. Until he is a, maybe he's about to tell Rose he says, I'm going to be your knight. Well, I think he loves he's gonna, Rose. He's going to reveal that the ground isn't contaminated. Well, I think But he Rose doesn't get a, to yeah. do it. He I doesn't think get Rose to say is it. his favorite, and he wants to make Rose happy. Yeah. But he doesn't get to confess that, so maybe they don't really know who he is. Maybe. Certainly, Jenny's motive in killing him is not related to the grocery store no. in any way. No. Until he says it. Until he says what? When Danny Piggott beats him up. It's because he says he's going to make it so the grocery store never comes there. Ah, uh, yeah, right. Yeah. But but then he's had the stroke and they think he's dead anyway. They didn't kill him because they knew that. 
I did not realize. They beat him up because of it. Yes. I did not realize the show was a science fiction show. Did you know that the show was a science fiction show? Because the Barnaby's bedroom is on the surface of the sun. (laughs) No, it's cold. Joyce has to wear Tom's pajamas. Then why is it in the middle of the day that they're getting into bed? (laughs) It is the brightest bedroom ever. Joyce's whole role in this episode is to complain. And then flaunt dominatrix stuff at the end. I That made me feel so... Yeah. It's like your parents talking about sex. It's, it's like... It's worse. No. It's worse than when they watch the porn. Yeah, it was. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, she's got a mask and earplugs. What? <laughs> but it's so bright in there. They haven't turned off lights to go to bed. You're hung I, up on that. You I guess not. They find Frank's car, which I noticed the first time was parked in the middle of nowhere. Why would you park in the middle of nowhere before, like, oh, I have to walk 16 blocks to get to my girlfriend's house? He, maybe he parks it equidistant from the three pursuits. Which is the Lamington's horse farm. Horse farm and then the Patchett's rural pursuits thing. Center, so, yes. Uh, uh, English people, please help us. Is this a thing? <laughs> I couldn't find anything called the uh, Rural Pursuits Center. Apparently, it's clay pigeon shooting, fly fishing, and hedging and ditching. Which? To which I thought. And hunting. Yes. Is there also dogging? And then I thought maybe Sue needs a two new T-shirt that says "dogging for Jesus," ditching, for, ditching and hedging for for Jesus. For people in the U.S. who don't know what dogging is, it's essentially meeting strangers in cars for sex. Kind of what England. Sue does. Sue yeah. does later. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but both the Lamingtons and the Patchets. Must be well off. Incredibly well off. The Pagets own enough land that they can allow people to hunt there. With shoot w- there. And make nice burnt in wooden signs. Those signs are wooden. And if they Sorry have fly fishing, the they must own fishing rights to part of a stream or yeah, a river. They, that makes them multimillionaires. And their right house there. is gorgeous. Yeah. And, you know, we know the Lamingtons are, like, selling off some assets and stuff, but they still own a dozen horses, three barns, a giant house. How broke can they be? Meanwhile, Rose is a single woman whose husband left her a ton of debt, has a child to put through school. She's the only one, I'm actually convinced, needs the money. Yes, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And the other two families already had all that going on before they started the business together. It's not like they got that because of it. Did you notice? I need to almost go back and look. Does Jeremy's camera have a flash on it? Because if it does, that's not going to work. (laughs) No. Okay. But all three of them are secretly recording their clients. Yes. Which they say is for safety. But it's got to be for blackmail. I'm sorry. It's got to be. Like, I understand what Rose says, and that might have been the start of it, but they're using it to blackmail people. Otherwise, they wouldn't need to store it. They might need like the last 24 hours because if something bad happened, they would have footage of it. Yes. But the fact that they're storing it onto those mini DVDs and keeping them means that they think they might need them later. Yeah. Hopkirk is 50. He's an old man. Yes, he's an old man. Did that make you want to hit Jones? I was like, Jones! 50 is not old. What about his buttocks? Uh, They say buttocks like seven times in a minute. Wow. Buttocks, buttocks, buttocks. buttocks. Mild chastisement. Yes, she beat him for pleasure. (laughs) George enjoys every moment of that scene. Yes. And I think they, I think he and Tom both are sort of trying to make Jones even more uncomfortable. <laughs> it's, it is the episode of Jones's discomfort. Yes, it is. Worse than trying to get DNA samples yes. from people from 10 feet away. Because, wow, he had to go talk to Mrs. Hopkirk all by himself. Frank's wife is just fantastic. First of all, she might as well light the match for her cigarette on the no smoking side. <laughs> she could have struck it on Frank. She doesn't care. She she's ready for a long holiday. Yep. Uh, she he was an addict to yes, women. Yes. And he, so Mrs. Hopkirk is paid, played by 
an awesome actress. Her name is Maggie Allerenshaw. Okay. I have trouble saying her name. Did you recognize her as soon as you saw her? Were you like, oh, I've seen this person before? I, she seemed really familiar, but I didn't know where from. She was in 13 episodes of Lovejoy. She's also in the Dogleg Murders. Okay. Which is just, which is another, a later Midsummer. But her longest running single role is she plays Henrietta in Thomas the Tank Engine. Oh. She does Henrietta's voice. Oh. Okay. And I recognized her voice immediately. Right away. Flashed back to toddlers oh, everywhere. Sweet, like, ah! Sweet Jesus, we watched a lot of Thomas the Tank Engine. But she's perfect in this role. Yeah. She's on screen for like a minute, and she's awesome she in every way. She eats it all up. Yeah. And, and Jones is terrified of her. <laughs> then we get global capitalism personified in Miranda and Dennis. Yes. The, the good fair representative and the counselor from... The city council, the village council. And could they be more in cahoots? They're even sitting behind his desk together. Oh, yeah. Like, they're they're obviously having an affair, too. I've just decided it. You just, yep. that's, that's the fact? Yep. Okay. I mean, you expect them to sit next to each other at the village hall because they're on the same side of the argument. But when... When Tom goes to his office, they're both sitting behind his desk. Well, you know, they're on the same hymn sheet. Well, just remember, Frank is a contractor. He is a consultant. Yes. He does not work for Good Fair or, not, or for the, or council. the council. Please make sure that that's clear in all of your public statements. So Barnaby go to the Talbots and they run like a general store. And I'm like, of course, general store, I'm like searching for curly whirlies. But there's none there. Which I think in most villages would be referred to as the post office. Yes. Right? They're the post office. It does say post office on the outside. The implication is they also sell small amounts of groceries and stuff, right? Including Walker's Chips. Yes. You just recently listened to a podcast about Walker's Chips. I did. Oh, boy. Folks, you know, we're going to take a a two-week break. And during that break, I have something for you to listen to. Yeah. And you don't even have to be British and even know what Walker's chips are for it to be fantabulous. Uh, it's a podcast. It's a it's a mini series. It's only, I think, 10 episodes and they're yeah. 30 minutes a piece called The Walker's Switch. Okay. And um, you can find it on BBC Sounds, which is um, it's an app that you can put on your phone and it uh, gives you access to all the BBC radio shows. But I think I also found it on um, Spotify as well. The Walker's Switch. And it is a, an entire podcast exploring whether or not walkers actually changed the color of their chip bags in the 90s. Ten episodes. Currently, their salt and vinegar chips come in a green bag and their cheese and onion come in a blue bag. Mm, cheese and onion. And lots of people remember them being the opposite colors before the 90s. And, and what and does Walker s- say? And swear that Walker's switched the color. They even remember a commercial announcing the color change. And Walker says it never happened. Oh, interesting. It's so interesting. It's very tongue-in-cheek. So the Walker's Switch, that's what it's called. Go listen to it. You'll thank me. It's awesome. Also in this episode, in this scene is Tracy Talbot, who really doesn't need to be here. She only needs to exist to prove that Gary Talbot is married so that it's bad that Suze is sleeping with him. After Barnaby talks to Dora, fact a little bit, we are then out of nowhere blessed. With Mr. Hunsucker. Mr. Hunsucker, played by Stuart Milligan. Who is American. Yes, he is born born in Boston, Massachusetts. Yeah, even though he's been on a ton of British TV. If you watched Jonathan Creek. He was... Adam Klaus, Adam Klaus, who's one of the magicians that Jonathan works for. He's in it for a few seasons. He uh, he also played President Nixon yep. in three or four episodes of Doctor Who back in 2011. Um, and I find this very interesting. He is the voice of Mr. Green in Hasbro's Clue video game. Oh. From 1997. Wow. That is they so had audio and video early. Games. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Wow. Yes. He's a great guy. He's he one was of in those Aliens, g- too. Yeah, he's one of those guys who works hard, does all sorts of jobs. It's always working. He's uncredited he, in Aliens, which he, is my favorite movie of all time. He has a 2020 credit. Mm-hmm. Like, he's working. Mm-hmm. Oh, and he's working he, it in this episode. And he is so good in this episode. 
I completely forgot that he drops Trow in front of Barnaby. <laughs> I totally forgot that he did that. That was such a joy. Like, oh my God, he's gonna, yeah, he did it. And you get the, the camera is like at his ankles and you see his pants and his undies there. <laughs> his trousers and his pants, if you're British. Yep. And we see Barnaby through his legs. <laughs> it's fantastic. It's great. It's great. He has such a great sense of humor playing along. Back at Roses, they find the camera and they watch the video. And oh, Jones that's an uncomfortable so scene. So uncomfortable. I want to know. So they made the video of Rose and Frank and like Rose shows off her stockings and stuff. Yep. And then they make sexy sex sounds. Right. They at least did some audio sounds <laughs> to play. I want to see that part of the video. <laughs> I, I feel for Rose in that scene because she's terrified. I yep. mean, her, her whole livelihood, her kid, everything, she could go to jail. And then she has to sit through that humiliating experience of showing them that video. Yep. And it, it just, it goes to show that Claire Holman, who plays Rose, she's such a great actress. She plays that scene very well. She is the actress of the episode. She, um, she's Dr. Laura Hobson in Morse and in Lewis. Yes. And the, then is Lewis's love interest. The, the picture in the magazine of her is from Morse. Yeah. But she's also in Ring Out Your Dead and she's in the Miniature Murders. She's in two more, two other Midsummer episodes. Yeah. And we didn't think that she, like, we were watching Lewis, and then we watched all the old Morrises, and I don't think I knew that she appeared in Morse. Yeah, you forget, because she's so prominent in Lewis. And she, now, she has she plays the same character in Morse and Lewis, but she hasn't appeared in Endeavor yet. She'd be way too young. No, no, but the way Thursday appears right. in yeah. Morse Endeavor. She and, could be like a young medical student or something. Yeah. Now, while well, we're talking about Claire Holman. Okay. We have our first. Okay. Wow, that looks like an awful movie, but I bet Mark's seen it. Okay. Claire Holman was in a movie in 2005 called Dot Kill. Oh. And it's D-O-T period kill. So it's dot dot kill. (laughs) Dot dot kill. Really? Yeah. So I'm I'm guessing this is one of these late 90s, early 2000s. The internet is full of killers episodes. There's a killer who's streaming his murders live. There's a Millennium episode like that. There's a ton of things like that. Millennium, I think, was the first because that was shown in like the mid 90s. Yeah. My favorite quote from the trailer, this new Internet thing gives me nightmares. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and she's in that. Yes. No, I've never seen that. Oh, and Stuart Milligan. How did I not mention this one before? Okay. Here's our second. Looks like an awful movie, but Mark's seen it. You ready? Okay. Now, I've seen a lot of Stuart Milligan's work. 1981. Okay. A federal marshal stationed at a mining colony on the Jupiter moon of Io uncovers a drug smuggling conspiracy. Yes. He gets no help from the workers or authorities when he finds himself marked for murder. Starring Sean Connery in Outland. Oh, yes. That's it. Good job. I got one point. I've watched this this movie in the last year. <laughs> You're so weird. I love Outland. It's a Western on Mars. Io. Uh, yeah. In space. In space. But he's in it. Yeah, I knew he was in it. And it was one of the movies we watched as in the high school in, when we were in high school a lot. Okay. I wasn't going to use this one, but since you knew that one so well, I'm going to have to use my third. Okay. Now, Madeline Potter is in this, and she's the the actress who plays Celia in this episode of Midsummer. Okay. Who I have a note about next, who has the easiest acting job in the world. She just curls her hair and goes, oh, hell. She looks bored and drinks champagne. Yeah. 1988. Okay. A woman traumatized by her brother's suicide is inducted into a world of games involving Murder stars Muriel Hemingway. No. Suicide Club. Suicide Club. No, I have not seen Ah, Suicide Club. Huzzah! Two points for me. (laughs) (laughs) I give it to you, though. You knew Outland from the... You even guessed the title. Yep. Celia 
sitting in a veranda waiting for the next client to show up and who shows up? Freddy! Freddy! No, it's not Freddy. So, Freddy from the episode with the tennis club. Right. His name is Sir Charles in this one. He's played by Miles Richardson. He may as yes, well be... Yes, he's Frederick Benton Brown in Tainted Fruit. Yeah, he may as well be the same episode, same guy. Yeah. Yeah. He comes around a third time in Fit for Murder, but he plays a doctor in that one. I was like, Freddy! Yeah! Because <laughs> I was already like, Adam! And yeah. then I was like, Freddy! <laughs> and then the last one we'll get to, because there's another individual who shows up in this episode who's in other episodes. Yes. But uh, I, I love when when uh, when Sir Charles sees Jeremy Patchett come out of the, the bushes with his camera, he just like looks, looks, and just runs. Yeah, at first he's all like, oh, what's hey, Barnaby? Hey, what are you doing? I paid to I paid. save her. And <laughs> when he knows the gig is up, he just takes off. <laughs> well, because Barnaby turns around and he goes, I'm, you know, Tom Barnaby CID. And then he sees the camera. He's like, I'm out of here. Yeah. <laughs> so they go to Lamington's and they find another camera. So there's cameras all over the place. Yes. And when they find that camera, they find out a bit more. They find out that that really there's a viewing station there mm-hmm. because Orlando comes out because he's been viewing. Yeah. He's been listening to Jenny talk to Tom. Yeah. And the gig is up and he knows what Jenny has done. Yes. So we find out that Hopkirk had a stroke. Yeah. Right? So Danny and Hopkirk fight. He has a stroke. They think he's dead. They bundle him into... The horse wagon. Worst not doctors ever. Yes. <laughs> like his his pulse might be slow, but I would he still has one. Yeah. <laughs> they bundle him in the horse wagon, take him to Jubb's field, dump him. Then Gary is supposed no, Danny is supposed to leave, but he doesn't. And Ginny, even though Frank opens his eyes, stabs him. Yes. Now he, she stabs. Not only does he open his eyes, he talks yes. to her. She stabs him with a knife that she's stolen from Jenny to frame Jenny. And she says she knows right away what she's going to do. Yes. She stole it late that afternoon before the meeting at the Lamington house, which is before the village hall meeting. Yes. How I can't figure out in the order of things how she did that. Okay. That's not the same day. Okay. He's not killed. He's killed on the day of the village he's, meeting. He's go- okay. So the very nine busy o'clock, day he goes get he, he goes and he digs some dirt. Dirt. Then he goes to the cookery school. Yes. Then he goes shooting. And while he's shooting, Ginny goes over to Rose's place and they talk and she steals the knife then. But that's before he's even oh no. She has no reason to want to kill him no. at that point because she doesn't no. know that he's working good for good fair so until he, he, he makes the phone call at the stable. So while he's dead at the stable, she goes back to see Rose before she comes over. Before they meet at yeah. six. Yeah. It's a really tight timeline. Luckily, this village is like minuscule. So, so Frank has had a stroke at the stable. Danny is still with him. Yep. Maybe putting him in the court, the horse cart. Yep. She runs over to Jenny's, steals the knife, comes back, goes with him out to Jubbs to dump the body, and stabs him. Yep. If you're a criminal and you're dumping a body, I have some advice for you. Park your vehicle close to the body mm. so you don't have to drag it across the fields. Oh, and I have another tip. If you're the Rev Suze okay. and you're having an affair yes. with a guy who delivers organic veg. Yes. And you're going to meet. She got some organic veg. You're going to meet in his delivery truck. Yeah. Don't dive into it airborne. Like, (laughs) it's almost. I had to double check. It's comical. I double check. I had to double check. It's almost she puts like her hands together to make a little dive. She does. (laughs) I could watch the Rev Sue diving into that van as a gift for days. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I think I'll make a gif of it this week. But I have another problem with the timeline then because we find out that Gary has apparently screwed up an order and that's why he has to go. He says he has to go back out and do another delivery. And he says it's seven. Yeah. But this has to be before seven. It has to be before seven. Because it's before they meet. And Sue's is supposed to be running at six. 
There's some timeline problems here. I, I just think that it almost feels like Jenny stole the knife because she was going to kill somebody and pin it on Rose. Yeah. And she didn't really know who yet. Yeah. <laughs> That's how it feels to me. It kind of feels like that. <laughs> because she must have stolen it. I think she stole it before Frank got to the writing school for his lesson that day. So the other timeline problem I have is a more... Oh, and Danny is there watching because he just likes to. Yeah. Not because he plans on confronting... In the middle of the day! It's not that he plans on confronting Frank. He doesn't know who Frank is. Doesn't he have a pub to run? I... Yeah. I, I don't know. So I have another timeline problem, and this is a bigger timeline problem. Oh, sorry. And the fact... That Ginny is having an affair with Danny, even though when Orlando accused Rose of having an affair with Danny, Ginny is the one who said, oh, and you've got better taste than that. Knowing that she's sleeping with well, him. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, that's that's projection. Anyway, I'm sorry. Go ahead. So my timeline problem. In the same way that the Rainbirds have counterparts in other towns, mm-hmm. there's an individual in this episode that has a counterpart. Yes. Ezra. Ezra. Is Ted's counterpart. He's Ted's twin. He's Ted's, he's the same person. Now, Ted is the barfly who mumbles. Yes. From. Down among dead men. Down among the dead men, right? So uh, he's, he's the guy in the, in the pub in that episode. But in this episode, he's the guy in the pub who mumbles. He's a friend of Jones's uncle. Yes. Who knows a guy who used to work at the timber mill. Yes. (laughs) Out of nowhere. Frank Mills is the actor's name. Danny Piggott is an idiot. Yes. Because his first thought is to follow Jones to Badger's Drift to where that old guy is. Right. And try to kill him with a mask on. Johnny Crouch. Yeah. He's going to go kill Johnny Crouch because Johnny Crouch is going to tell Jones there was never any contamination in Jubs. And he's just going to beat him up. He's old. Doesn't take a whole lot. He's already killed one old guy. He puts up a fight, though. Yeah, he does. He hits Jones with a kettle. It does. <laughs> My note says, Rev, Suze, and Gary Talbot having an affair. Fact. <laughs> so at this point in time, we get this scene <laughs> where the Suze, Suze and Rose are praying in the church. Yes. To which Kneeling at the front. My first note is harlots. <laughs> <laughs> Country matters. Yep. So Jenny confesses that she hates Rose. Yep. Because Rose managed to steal both her husband and her lover while sleeping with neither of them. So of course Frank had to die. At least Danny and <sighs> Yeah. At least Danny in his interrogation is like, Oh, I'm caught here. I'm gonna give everything up. Yeah. It, and it, it bothers me that, first of all, Jenny kills Frank, not for anything Frank has done. Jenny was on edge, and she was ready to kill anybody to frame Rose. Anybody she could kill to frame Rose. Yep. But she knows him. Yeah. He's been to the writing school many times. I think yeah. she's had sex with him. Yeah. And she can just stab him. While he's begging her not to. Yeah. Half That's incapacitated so from a stroke. It's so sad. And she does it just because she doesn't like Rose. That's her whole motivation is because she doesn't like Rose. That is really cold. Really, really cold. Yeah. She stole my husband and my lover. While keeping the moral high ground. While keeping the moral high ground. And then we have the most disturbing scene of the episode. Okay. You know, Rose asked me to help out the cookery school once. I don't think I could do that housewife thing. I've got enough of that at home. I'm sorry. I can't (laughs) hear you. The lights are too bright. (laughs) And I certainly couldn't play the damsel in distress. No, couldn't do that. That's so demeaning. But that mild chastisement Joyce could get in on. I could dish out some discipline. But then then Tom puts down his book and he's like, oh, really? Yeah. (laughs) You know, you'd think after seeing... Mr. Hunsecker's ass, he would be kind of off of that for a while. And he's seen Frank's ass, Frank's corpse's ass in the morgue. That would kind of put you off that. And you know, Mr. Hunsecker, the actor, I bet you he was like, oh, you want me to drop trout? Okay. Yeah. I bet you he had no problem showing off his ass. Stuart Milligan's a sport. Yep. He's a sport. And that's Country Matters. Best corpse. Oh! 
Nice corpse. There's only one. It's Frank. Frank. But I would say the best corpse of Frank is when he's pleading for his life and he gets stabbed. That's so sad. He does some good acting there. Oh, I think it's when he's in the morgue and they roll him over to look at his butt. That's true. (laughs) There's that, too. He lays very still. He has lots of fake bruises on his chest. Uh, I'm glad we didn't see a close-up of that ass. And then they roll him over. Yeah. It's so funny. After the credits? Joyce becomes a dominatrix. Oh. That puts me off of everything. (laughs) Otis, is his life is ruined. His mom is gone. She's in Florida. His dad is going to jail. He's going to jail. For beating up two old men. They're losing the pub. Dora is never going to speak to him again. Fact. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> He's a known smoker and boozer. I just feel so sorry for Otis. His Poor entire Otis. life has been destroyed. Poor Otis. I think that um, Rose and Dora will be fine, but Rose is going to have to find another way to make money. Yep. Maybe she'll have to get a job. I don't know. I think Barnaby has to turn them over to Vice. I know it doesn't seem nice. It's certainly going to come out what they've been doing. Yeah. So maybe they'll have to move. I don't know that she would get charged with anything. You know what else happened? The village gets a brand new spanking grocery. And six affordable homes. It does. (laughs) While it's ruined. (laughs) Do you think uh, the Talbots get divorced? I think probably the Talbots get divorced and they lose the store. But I don't think the Rev Suze is going to marry Gary. No, I don't think so. No, I don't think that's going to work out. No, I think the Rev might have a, the Archdeacon might have a a speaking to Rev Suze. I think Painter and uh, Miranda What's-Her-Face are going to get away with it. Miranda Harvey. I don't think they're going to get in any trouble for... No, I don't think so. ...having a conflict of interest. And really their conflict of interest is not anything huge. And it's nothing new. No. Right? That they're uh, collaborating. Orlando Lamington, you think he's going to keep running the horse place all by himself? No, I don't think so. He'll get out of there? I think he's out of there. I think he moves to the city. Meanwhile, Mrs. Hopkirk is on a beach. I have another story with Mrs. Hopkirk. Oh, yeah? Frank's wife goes on vacation and dies tragically, (laughs) leaving the kids to inherit. (laughs) Because they had both those parents. Because Frank, Frank is... Not a good person. No, not if we believe her. Yeah. And he is married and sleeping with three women in the same village, though he's paying for it. And Uh, paying for it. Yeah. Taking money out of the mouths of his own children. Yeah. So I I think that maybe she dies in a tragic Spanish flu accident or something. I hope she's having fun when it happens. I hope so, too. That's Country Matters. Is that all, sir? Yep. Yes, sir. You, yes, sir. sir. You, sir. Social media, write, rate, uh, rate, review, and subscribe. Subscribe to us on all the things that all helps us. Um, we passed a hundred uh, subscribers on YouTube. YouTube sent me a very nice little email. Said, "Hey, you could post about this on your Twitter." Feed. I'm still, I'm still surprised a hundred people use YouTube to listen to the podcast, but yeah, I'm glad they do. They do. But we have far more listeners on other platforms. But yes. hey, you listen however it works for you. Yep. But don't just listen. Send us. Yes. So Midsummer uh, Maniacs at gmail.com. Send us a message that includes who you are. Don't have to have last names. Where you live. I don't need your full address. <laughs> you you don't. <laughs> Uh, Hi, I'm Sarah from Bloomington, Indiana, and I like Midsummer because... Yep, that's all we need. We need a whole bunch of those to turn into an episode. Give us fun stuff. So send those to us. We'll use all of them. Yep, absolutely. And next week, we have Peter Capaldi Mm -hmm. just eating up the scenery. He's really, really good. And we have a a returning returning actor from the second episode. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, singing, Death in the Chorus. It's and another. And it will be our 50th episode, our yep. one year anniversary. It, it's Joyce has a hobby and people die episode. Of course. So. so until then, bye, maniacs. Bye, maniacs. Oh, what does she play in Lovejoy? I didn't write it down. I don't remember her name. Excellent. Okay. Thanks.